Section 13 of Police This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Police by Robert W. Chambers One Over, Part Two It was given out at the Bronx that our field expedition to Baffinland was to be undertaken solely for the purpose of bringing back live specimens of the five-spotted Arctic woodcock, Pilohila quinque macalata, in order to add to our onomatology and our glossary of onomatopoeia an octogenesis of this important but hitherto unstudied subspecies. I trust I make myself clear. Scientific statements should be as clear as a Sputian devil. Sola instagna salus. But two things immediately occurred which worried us. Professor Bottomley sent us official notification that she approved our expedition to Baffinland, designated the steamer we were to take, and enclosed tickets. That scared us. Then to add to our perplexity, Professor Bottomley disappeared, leaving Dr. Daisy Delmore in charge of her department during what she announced might be a somewhat prolonged absence on business. And during the four feverish weeks of our pretended preparations for Baffinland, not one word did we hear from Jane Bottomley, which caused us painful inquietude as the hour approached for our departure. Was this formidable woman actually intending to let us depart alone for the Golden Glacier? Was she too lazy to rob us of the secretly contemplated glory which we had pretended awaited us? We had been so absolutely convinced that she would forbid our expedition, pack us off elsewhere, and take charge herself of an exploring party to Baffinland, that, as the time for our leaving drew near, we became first uneasy, and then really alarmed. It would be a dreadful jest on us if she made us swallow our own concoction, if she revealed to our colleagues our pretended knowledge of the Golden Glacier and James Scaw, and the supposedly ice-embedded herd of mammoths and then publicly forced us to investigate this hoax. More horrible still would it be if she informed the newspapers and gave them a hint to make merry over the three wise men of the Bronx who went to Baffinland in a boat. "'What do you suppose that devious and secretive female is up to?' inquired Lazard, who, within the last few days, had grown thin with worry. "'Is it possible that she is sufficiently degraded to suspect us of trying to pull one over on her?' Is that what she is now doing to us? Terminus est, it is the limit, said I. He turned a morbid eye upon me. She is making a monkey of us, that's what. Suspenda omnia naso, I nodded. Tarde zed tuta. When I think aloud in Latin, it means that I am deeply troubled. Suum quemque scalus agitat. Uh, do you get me, Professor? I'm sorry I attempted to be sportive with this terrible woman. The course of my scientific career has been periodical excesses of frivolity. See where this frolicsome impulse has landed me? Super abysmum amalans. Trahit sua quemque falopitas. Transiat in exumplum. She means to let us go to our destruction on this mammoth frap affair. But Dr. Foos was optimistic. I think she is already herself by that bottomland gasgon he said. Oh, I think she has the bait swallowed. Vivate, we see. And so it is, we know. 
But why hasn't she stopped our preparations? I demanded. If she wants all the glory herself, why does she permit us to incur this expense by getting ready? No man's can to know the workings of the mental process by a frauenzima, said Dr. Foose, wagging his head. The suspense became nerve-wracking. We were obliged to pack our camping kits, and it began to look as though we would have either to sail the next morning or to resign from the Bronx Park Zoological Society, because all the evening papers had the story in big type, the details and objects of the expedition, the discovery of the herd of mammoths in cold storage, the prompt organization of an expedition to secure this unparalleled deposit of prehistoric mammalia. Everything was there, staring at us in violent print, excepting only the name of the discoverer, and the names of those composing the field expedition. "'She means to betray us after we have sailed,' said Lazard, greatly depressed. "'We might just as well resign now before this hoax explodes and besplatters us. "'We can take our chances in vaudeville or as lecturing professors with the movies.' "'I thought so, too. "'In point of fact, we all had gathered in my study to write out our resignations, "'when there came a knock at the door, and Dr. Daisy Delmore walked in.' Oddly enough, I had not before met Dr. Delmore personally. Only formal written communication had hitherto passed between us. My idea of her had doubtless been inspired by the physical and intellectual aberrations of her chief. I naturally supposed her to be either impossible and corporally redundant, or intellectually and otherwise as wizened as last year's leeching nut. I was criminally mistaken. And why Lazard, who knew her, had never set me right, I could not then understand. I comprehended later. For the feminine assistant of Professor Jane Bottomley, who sauntered into my study and announced herself, had the features of Athene, the smile of Aphrodite, and the figure of Psyche. I believe I do not exaggerate these scientific details, although it has been said of me that any pretty girl distorts my vision and my intellectual balance to the detriment of my calmer reason and my differentiating ability. "'Gentlemen,' said Dr. Delmore, while we stood in a respectful semicircle before her, modestly conscious of our worth, our toes turned out, and each man's features wreathed with that politely unnatural smirk which masculine features assume when confronted by feminine beauty. "'Gentlemen, on the eve of your proposed departure for Baffinland, in quest of living specimens of the five-spotted Philomena quinque Marcolata, I have been instructed by Professor Bottomley, to announce to you a great good fortune for her, for you, for the Bronx, for America, for the entire civilized world. It has come to Professor Bottomley's knowledge, recently, I believe, that an entire herd of mammoths lie encased in the mud and ice of the vast flat marshes which lie south of the terminal moraine of the Golden Glacier in that part of Baffinland known as Dr. Cook's Peninsula. The credit of this epoch-making discovery is Professor Bottomley's entirely. How it happened, she did not inform me. One month ago today, she sailed in great haste for Baffinland. At this very hour, she is doubtless standing all alone upon the frozen surface of that wondrous marsh, contemplating with reverence and awe and similar holy emotions the fruits of her own unsurpassed discovery. Dr. Delmore's lovely features became delicately suffused and transfigured as she spoke. Her exquisite voice thrilled with generous emotion. She clasped her snowy hands and gazed, enraptured, 
at the picture of Dr. Bottomley, which her mind was so charmingly evoking. Perhaps, she whispered, perhaps at this very instant, in the midst of that vast and flat and solemn desolation, the only protuberance visible for miles and miles is Professor Bottomley. Perhaps the pallid arctic sun is setting behind the majestic figure of Professor Bottomley, radiating a blinding glory to the zenith, illuminating the crowning act of her career with its unearthly aura. She gazed at us out of dimmed and violet eyes. Gentlemen, she said, I am ordered to take command of this expedition of yours. I am ordered to sail with you tomorrow on the Labrador and Baffin Line steamer Dr. Cook. The object of your expedition, therefore, is not to be the quest of Philohila Quinque Bacalata. Your duty now is to corroborate the almost miraculous discovery of Professor Bottomley, and to disinter for her the vast herd of frozen mammoths, pack and pickle them, and get them to the Bronx. Tomorrow's morning papers will have the entire story. The credit and responsibility for the discovery and the expedition belong to Professor Bottomley, and will be given to her by the press and the populace of our great republic. It is her wish that no other names be mentioned, which is right. To the discoverer belongs the glory. Therefore, the marsh is to be named Bottomley's Marsh, and the glacier Bottomley's Glacier. Yours and mine is to be the glory of laboring incognito under the direction of the towering scientific intellect of the age, Professor Bottomley and the most precious legacy you can leave your children, if you get married and have any, is that you once wielded the humble pick and shovel for Jane Bottomley on the bottomless marsh which bears her name. After a moment's silence, we three men ventured to look sideways at each other. We had certainly killed Professor Bottomley, scientifically speaking. The lady was practically dead. The morning papers would consummate the murder. We didn't know whether we wanted to laugh or not. She was now virtually done for, that seemed certain. So greedily had this egotistical female swallowed the silly bait we offered. So arrogantly had she planned to eliminate everybody excepting herself from the credit of the discovery, that there now seemed nothing left for us to do, except to watch her hurtling deliriously towards destruction. Should we burst into hellish laughter? We looked hard at Dr. Delmore, and we decided... Not to. Yet. Said I, To assist at the final apotheosis of Professor Bottomley makes us very, very happy. We are happy to remain incognito, mere ciphers bonded out by the fierce white light which is about to beat upon Professor Bottomley, fore and aft. We are happy that our participation in this astonishing affair shall never be known to science. But happiest of all are we, dear Dr. Delmore, in the knowledge that you are to be with us and of us, incognito on this voyage now eminent, that you are to be our revered and beloved leader. And I, for one, promise you personally the undivided devotion of a man whose entire and austere career has been dedicated to science in all its branches. I stepped forward rather gracefully, and raised her little hand to my lips to let her see that even the science of gallantry had not been neglected by me. Dr. Daisy Delmore blushed. "'Furthermore,' said I, "'considering the fact that our names are not to figure in this expedition, "'and furthermore, in consideration of the fact that you are going, "'we shall be very, very happy to accompany you, Dr. Delmore.' "'I again saluted her hand, 
and again Dr. Delmore blushed and looked sideways at Professor Lazard. End of section 13. Recording by Todd.